שלום, you're listening to On Israel in Al-Monitor, and I am Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Those of you who follow our Al-Monitor podcast and our website reporting can clearly see the escalation of the undeclared war between Iran and Israel on an increasing number of fronts. Mysterious explosions at strategic facilities, hacking of key services, assassinations of top scientists and uh, military officers on Iranian soil, uh, attributed to Israel, and the brazen Iranian revenge attempts to kidnap and kill Israelis in Turkey, which Israel's Mossad and Turkish security forces foiled in recent weeks. The latest reported developments include a cyber attack that set off warning sirens in several Israeli cities, followed by a blast that heavily damaged a state-owned steel plant in Iran. Meanwhile, the region is uh, preparing for uh, President Joe Biden's visit to Israel and Saudi Arabia, both of them staunch enemies of the regime in Tehran, and talks between uh, world powers in Iran on its nuclear program uh, resumed, this time in Qatar, not Vienna, but failed to achieve a breakthrough. In Israel, the government was uh, busy playing musical chairs. Israelis went to sleep uh, Wednesday with a prime minister named Naftali Bennett and woke up uh, in a country whose prime minister is called Yair Lapid. This is the man Biden will be meeting. This is the man who has uh, to choose between two approaches, whether the tough line of his predecessor Bennett, rejecting uh, any possible deal with Iran, or a toned-down approach that gives the Americans more credit in uh, negotiations with Iran. Lapid also faces two ideological opposed camps within his own security establishment. The military intelligence folks who believe a deal with Iran is uh, the best of the bad options for blocking Iran's nuclear race, and the Mossad, which insists Israel must do everything possible to prevent an agreement, which it says would uh, endanger the country's ability to defend itself and therefore poses an existential threat. Today's uh, On Israel guest served for years in the Mossad as head of its uh, intelligence division and director of Tevel, the division responsible for the organization's diplomatic and intelligence ties. Haim Tomer retired in 2014 with the rank of Major General. He joins us right after this short break. Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department Correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first-class reporting and analysis.
Now I'm privileged to uh, welcome uh, to our podcast uh, my friend and colleague, uh, former chief of intelligence division in the Mossad, Chaim Tomer. Good evening, Chaim. Thank you for joining us here in Non-Israel in Al Monitor. Shalom, Chaim. Good evening, Shalom. We have a lot to talk about, so, so I'll start, I will be generous and I'll start with an easy question because I saw a, an essay, a feature by yourself about uh, uh, the nuclear agreement and the options uh, that Israel uh, is, uh, is now uh, trying to, uh, to choose between. And uh, where do you stand in the ideological argument between the Mossad, which rules out any deal with Iran, and military intelligence, which views such a deal as uh, the lesser evil? Well, I, I believe that uh, the, uh, the baseline of the different ideas and opinions of Mossad and, and IDF, uh, in a way, derived from the areas of responsibility. Mossad was uh, nominated by the Israeli government in 2006-7 to be the uh, institution that leads the struggle against the race of Iran from the Duke. Uh, uh, having that in mind, it means that Mossad would like to carry on with all this kind of, let us say, let us call it, kind of clandestine uh, warfare that has been uh, running in the last couple of years. Accordingly, according to foreign sources, many of the events that happened in Iran in the last uh, couple of years, and especially in the last year, uh, was carried out by Israeli or by Israeli uh, agents. And I believe that Mossad believes that he needs to keep up uh, its uh, freedom of activity, which means Mossad is not against the agreement, is against uh, that the Israeli government would commit itself to stop any kind of activities in order to let the Americans, the US and all the others to get in a tranquil and peaceful uh, environment to an agreement with Iran. As I understood from a couple of people, uh, Mossad believes that it's on the country, which means the pressure which is inflicted on Iran uh, make the Iranian leadership more flexible in regard to the uh, possible agreement with the Americans and the others uh, though, as you probably heard by yourself, it doesn't, it doesn't seem this week that the Iranians are so soft and so flexible. So the, I, I really think that Israel should keep up uh, its freedom of maneuverability up till this agreement is signed. Uh, and I really, in that respect, uh, support a uh, position of, uh, that was related to the chief of Mossad. This is very original. I, I never thought about it, that, that it comes, as you said, from the, the, the very fact that the Mossad is in charge. I think uh, Prime Minister Sharon was the first one that nominated Meir Dagan, late uh, Mossad chief, to stop the, the nuclear agreement. And, and the, this is the reason the Mossad wants to keep himself as free as possible. But let's go on. And when I read your, uh, your article, uh, you were talking there about uh, nuclear deterrence. Does that not, uh, <coughs> I'm sorry, does that uh, not contradict Israel's well-known policy 
of uh, amb ambiguity, meaning neither confirming nor denying that it has nuclear weapons. If we were using a nuclear uh, deterrence, it, it means that actually we have nuke. I would say something like that. Uh, first and foremost, I think that the ambiguity policy of Israel in regard to uh, its capabilities uh, in general, in particular in regard to the uh, nuclear uh, accord, accordingly or, or, or allegedly uh, uh, capabilities, uh, it is uh, a right and smart and sophisticated policy. I think that we are going towards, and that was the article all about, the, we are going into a new ball game. If the Iranians go to enrichment of 60% and over that, uh, let us say 90%, which is military grade, and then uh, the Israeli intelligence would see signs to the renewal of the activities of the what we call the weapon, uh, weapon group and the platform group, which means missiles and so on, meaningly that Iran is moving ahead towards having a full-scale military nuclear capability, I think that Israel should change then, not before that, then the, its policy in regard to uh, uh, nuclear uh, deterrence. And this is this was the article all about. It means a call for Israeli, let us say, security leaders and maybe political leaders to think about the next stage, because the next stage is coming and it might, it might coming even sooner than we think. Yes, it's uh, it's very important what you're saying right now. Uh, assuming that uh, right now they are already in what we call SQ2, they have enough uh, material uh, to enrich within a few weeks because they have so uh, sophisticated uh, centrifuges, etc., and they, they have enough materials. So you say that we are we have to start think about the next phase before it will be too late. And I ask you, you assume that the diplomatic action, meaning a nuclear agreement is no longer relevant, but the negotiations have resumed and there are many people in the Mossad who believe an agreement is inevitable because both sides need it. Iran for its economic survival and Biden for the Democrat survival in the midterm elections. Uh, why are you convinced that there is no chance of an agreement? I think that they, uh, I, I wouldn't say no chance because I'm a professional intelligence officer. Uh, we know that uh, uh, there is uh, nothing which is, uh, which is, uh, I would say, certain. But if you look upon, I would say, likelihoods, uh, I would give very uh, low likelihood to the possibility of an agreement between the P5 plus one and specifically the US and Iran. And if you look this week upon the renewal after a long period of pressure from the US and Iran to renew the, the process, the process was renewed. But as one can understand, the Iranians are very, very stubborn and very, very resistible in uh, their attitude in regard to some American, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, American uh, demands and especially in regard to demands uh, which touch upon the supervision uh, of the IAEA, which means how open Iran would be to inspections of foreign forces to what they are doing in the, in the nuclear uh, facilities and, 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 and factories. Uh, and having in mind all that, having in mind the fact that the Iranians uh, managed to bypass the uh, American sanction by 
very strong economic connections with the Indians and the Chinese and very strong political and security connections with the Russians. Uh, having in mind the price of the oil, having in mind, the, uh, uh, I would say, the image, the weak image of the Biden administration, having in mind the fact that everybody is speaking about uh, uh, a possibility that the Republicans in the US would uh, take the upper end in the coming uh, uh, midterms uh, election. When you put, put all these things into one, I would say one big pot and try to understand uh, what is the outline of that, I would say that for the Iranians, it would be very stupid to agree now before the midterm election to something which is a real uh, uh, giveaway, a real, uh, um, a real something uh, tangible which is given to the other side. Uh, if I would have been an Iranian, but, but this time knowing the Iranian's nature, knowing the Iranian nature of, of uh, and style of, of negotiation, I would, I would say that they would wait at least up till the midterm election in the US, which means November. So I'm very skeptical about the chance to get something. The Iranians are, are, are experts in dragging uh, legs and, and wasting time, and that's what they are doing in my eyes. I think you're right. Uh, let's talk about the worst case scenario. The Iranians keep moving ahead uh, with the program and are very close to reaching a nuclear threshold uh, status. Israeli civilian and military leaders have talked about in the past and in the, in the present a military option as a last ditch effort to stop Iran. Mayor Dagan used to, to uh, the metaphor of if, if this, uh, the sword is on the neck, the knife is already on our neck. Do you see an Israeli attack, a military strike as necessarily leading to a regional war, which would also include massive missiles attacks and on Israel by Iran's proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, and Islamic Jihad? Yes, I'm pretty certain about that. I, th I think that there is a long uh, lasting effort of the Iran to build up a kind of uh, missile rockets mili uh, 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 militia or even military on our northern border, uh, namely Hezbollah. We accordingly, according to the new counting down of the Israeli military intelligence, uh, they possess today something like 70,000 warheads. And within that, something like a couple of hundreds of, uh, I would say, advanced type of precise of yes and 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 uh so this is on the northern border on the southern border you have uh, in uh, gaza strip the G uh, gip the jihad islamic palestini which is a, a kind of an iranian creature uh, 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 basing himself on iranian money on Iranian leadership on other gu guidance and Iranian policy so one should uh, take into consideration that if the Iranians would feel that Israel is going to attack them or Israel attacked them already, they would uh, operate these two, two uh, uh, so to speak, proxies. Uh, and more than that, the Iranians themselves, a couple of the Iranian commanders said, we have the Hezbollah Iraq as well with uh, 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 UAVs, very advanced UAVs. We have the Houthis in Yemen. All of them will be operated against Israel in the case of a showdown between us and Israel, not to mention the, um, what they call the missile arm of the Iranian uh, IRGC, which possess today some hundreds 
of Shiab 5, which is a, a missile with a range of 1,500 1, kilometers, which means uh, uh, could reach Tel Aviv or Haifa or any, any place in Israel. So I believe that Iran would not uh, swallow. Iran is not, because people are saying, look upon Iraq, look upon Syria, we attacked their nuclear reactors and nothing happened. Don't uh, uh, compare between Iran in Iraq uh, of 1982, or which was in a very bloody war with the Iranians, or with the Syrians who were very, in 2007, we were very weak regionally. Uh, uh, I'm, I uh, hardly see the Iranians uh, uh, sw uh, 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 swallowing uh, an Israeli military attack on them. Uh, and I, 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 I think that uh, this is a very unlikely scenario. I know that there are people in Israel, in the Israeli security services that believe that if we attack them and it, if it would be uh, successful, they would swallow it. I'm not, uh, I, I do not belong to this camp. I believe that they will retaliate and they even will try to see how we, they can get a better position after a kind of uh, showdown with Israel regionally and vis-a-vis, -vis, I would say, their strategic uh, uh, aims in, 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 the, in the region. So yes, if Israel decide to go to a, uh, uh, a military option, it should take into consideration that it means uh, a regional uh, uh, large-scale showdown. We call it uh, the first uh, Northern War not Lebanon number one, Lebanon number two, now it's northern, although, as you said, uh, uh, Hamas and uh, Islamic Jihad will uh, come from the south, and may it be the Houthis and, and so on. So you, you, congratulations, you uh, succeeded scaring me. And I want to ask <laughs> you... Morning, you have to remember what happened this morning. This morning, a three uh, uh, Hezbollah UAVs, which are Iranian-made, were launched toward the Karish, toward the Israeli uh, oil uh, rig in, in the in the Mediterranean, which is in a on a accordingly on a I would say on a disputed area uh, between us and the Lebanon, and there is a kind of negotiation under the underneath the Americans' initiative, though the Hezbollah decided to send three UAVs towards this area, and. I like to draw your attention to the fact that there, so to speak, uh, I would say readiness to challenge Israel is a, a little bit on, on, on the, uh, I would say on, 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 on the uh, growing tendency. And it should be taken into, into consideration in regard to your question, what is the attitude and the approach of the other side? Very interesting. I wanted to ask you about this, but after you described the threat, I want to ask you uh, how serious is this uh, threat to Israel from Hezbollah's missile arsenal and the hundreds of precise missiles that can hurt directly infrastructure, uh, Air Force bases, etc., especially given Iran's ongoing attempts to, uh, to turn these rockets into a precise, I said and uh, hitting Israeli population centers and strategic facilities. Does Israel have a response for this buildup? And maybe in other words, maybe the, the Hezbollah threat, tens of thousands of missiles and rockets, 
is even more strategic than, uh, than Iran uh, going to the nuclear uh, ability because the, the, the chance for them to use it against Israel, knowing what Israel is capable of doing, is very low, although the chance of Hezbollah shooting at us five or 6,000 rockets a day for, uh, for two months is more realistic. Well, first and foremost, I have to uh, agree with you because there are many people in the community, so to speak, uh, and people in the civilian research institutes like the INSS and Erzeliya uh, Rachman University and others uh, within which I, I would say I, I communicate uh, um, in regard to, to uh, this kind of dialogue. I would say the bottom line of everybody is that we, are, we might face what is called an existential threat if the Iranians would get uh, operational, uh, mil uh, operational military uh, nuclear power. This is, this is something that could destroy Israel potentially. But there are many people that claim that if Hezbollah would go on with this kind of accuracy project, which means to possess, that would bring them to possess something like 700, maybe 800 uh, uh, accurated GPS guided uh, uh, heavy rockets that could uh, paralyze the military and civilian centers of Israel. These people call this kind of threat on the threshold of, of existential, which means, okay, Israel could survive that, uh, but it would be so painful and so destructive uh, that uh, there is a question how Israel would be, uh, I would say, would be uh, um, estimated afterwards in the region and outside of the region. But on the other end, one should say uh, to our uh, uh, listeners that according to the IDF, the last uh, exercise, which actually imitated the war with the Lebanese, uh, the bottom line of what I understood from all the publications and the announcements of people from the uh, uh, Ministry of uh, Defense is that Israel is very much prepared for this scenario, very much prepared. For the last couple of years, Israel intelligence, Israel operational forces, Israel Air Force is um, dealing day and night with this kind of uh, nightmare scenario. And uh, one should take into consideration that uh, Yes, it is, it is a potential, uh, a, a, a potential uh, threat, uh, a very serious potential threat to Israeli, I would say, uh, 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 capabilities and capabilities of or functioning capabilities. But on the other end, the Israeli security forces are very much aware of that, are very much uh, uh, involved with the different types of, uh, I would say, modus operandi. So uh, it's, uh, there are pros and cons, but still it's a very serious uh, capability which is being built, built up on our Northern front. It's very interesting. And uh, I think we are here uh, dealing again with deterrence because uh, what Israeli uh, commanders and officers and uh, leaders are saying for uh, the last couple of years is uh, that we have now the ability to uh, bring Lebanon back to the stone age within maybe two days. Yeah. Uh, so let's not try it from other side. We are hearing uh, Chaim Tomer a lot about a NATO-style regional alliance led by Israel against the Shiite Axis. 
and the Iran nuclear program. President Biden is expected to talk about uh, an aerial deterrence and interception system shared with US and Israeli allies in the region. Do you see this emerging defense alliance as a strategic tiebreaker, a real game changer, or is this uh, simply a tranquilizer for the states of the, uh, of the region that are very anxious about the threat from Iran? Well, uh, one should say in the very beginning to the, of the answer to your question is that the US administration, including President Biden said a couple of times, several times, that the US is very much committed to avoid Iran from getting into military nuclear uh, capability. Um, I still treat the US administration as a very serious uh, uh, worldwide factor. And I believe that we should rem remember this commitment. Secondly, I think that coming to the uh, midterm election, it seems as if this administration understood that maybe they were mistaken in the first year or first, first year and a half by neglecting and depriving uh, their uh, regional uh, natural friends, which means Israel, Jordan, uh, Saudi Arabia, the uh, uh, UAE, Egypt, and others. And it seems as if there is, for the first time, kind of an effort of the US to, um, I would say, to, to uh, fix and to improve these kind of relations. Uh, and in that respect, I, if I would have been now in an Israeli Form position, I would try to exploit this possibility as much as possible, including towards army cooperation, secret army cooperation. Having said all that, I like to say that Israel and some of the countries in the, in, in, in the region, especially in the Gulf, um, have been uh, cooperating for many years, quite many years, or even before Abraham Akkad. And I believe. Uh, I would say that some of the content of the cooperation is uh, military and security considerations and, and interest. And I think that Israel should uh, push forward towards uh, this kind of military and strategic cooperations with these countries, including Egypt. Uh, and uh, if the Americans would jump on the wagon, uh, as they are saying, and would put up some uh, tangible, uh, concrete uh, contribution to this to this kind of regional alliance, it could be something very serious. Up till now, my impression is that the Americans uh, were a little bit uh, sitting on the fence in regard to what is going on in the region. But it seems as if uh, uh, in the last couple of months, maybe two, three, four, uh, uh, three last months, they are getting more to a kind of a proactive position. And let us hope that that will happen for the sake of the security of Israel. And another question about this, uh, two years since Abraham Accords, uh, there is a talk about significant movement with Saudi Arabia and unprecedented economic and other relations between Israel and a large number of Middle Eastern Sunni uh, states that is also impacted by uh, Israel's natural gas exports. How do you mm -hmm. see the progress achieved? And I'm talking mainly about the Saudis because we are hearing about it for a lot of time now. And on, on one hand, uh, I think uh, ex-Prime Minister Bennett uh, said that don't expect uh, ceremonies, 
but uh, we can expect the movement. What, uh, what, do you think it will happen in the next uh, one or two years that uh, I will just uh, check uh, check in a flight and and, and land in uh, in uh, in Riyadh with uh, with an Israeli passport? Well, I don't know about uh, your flight, your next flight to Saudi Arabia. That is uh, uh, could be a little bit too early, but I, I think that uh, there are many signs, many, many, many signs that the policy of MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, that was uh, stated already in 2019 and 18, that Saudi Arabia should not be an hostage of the Palestinian Israeli crisis. And Saudi Arabia and Israel uh, possess very uh, different and similar interests in regard to Iran and in regard to the rift between the, I would say, radicals and the non-radicals in the in, in the region, uh, should be a remember always when it comes to what is actually the Saudi approach. Now there are real policies, there are many complexities when it comes to, I would say, uh, 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 fulfillment of, of policies in Saudi Arabia uh, because they are very, very uh, conservative, uh, very in the line of the old policies of, uh, of Saudi Arabia. And it's very uh, difficult to get them out of these kind of rails. But as I said, many signs coming out uh, uh, from Saudi Arabia about a change, a readiness to change the policy towards something which is like, let us cooperate under the table concretely in regard to technologies, in regard to, I would say, security cooperation, in regard to the est estimation and intelligence uh, of, uh, about Iran and Iran threats, because the, the Saudis suffered directly from Iranians and Houthis attack inside their, their, their uh, I would say, oil fields and, and, and their facilities, including cyber and including UAVs and including rockets and missiles. So they suffered from the, the, the hands of the Iranians. So they are, I would say, under that, under that kind of, uh, I would say, experience, they are ready more to consider a secret cooperation between Israel and Saudi Arabia. How much it get to be open is the question. Uh, knowing the, uh, so to speak, the style of policies of, of Saudi Arabia, but I think the time is very ripe for a concrete, uh, cooperation in security and other areas between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And I think that uh, President Biden is going to push on, uh, towards that very, very uh, seriously. By the way, it was uh, uh, published, uh, I think, a few days ago that there was a meeting uh, that the Americans arranged uh, uh, when uh, chief of staffs uh, uh, were sitting uh, between them, Aviv Kohavi from the IDF and the, the chief of staff of the, of the Saudis. Uh, yes. Exactly about this uh, cooperation and aerial uh, uh, interception, etc. My final question, although I could uh, go on with this conversation till morning, is uh, is sensitive, but I have to ask it. The Iranians blame Israel for a wave of assassinations of senior officials and scientists. They all they even tried to uh, to get revenge in Turkey, and Mossad was able with the Turks to prevent it. Israel has not assumed the responsibility for uh, any incident, except for the kidnapping and the interrogation of an uh, Al-Quds agent by the Mossad inside Iran. Is this type of activity a significant step in blocking Iran's race for a bomb, or are these simply nuances, uh, attacks that cannot slow or stop 
uh, Iran's program? Well, first and foremost, uh, I, I think that what uh, is um, related to Mossad, according to foreign sources, uh, uh, meaningly uh, attacks against scientists uh, and um, prominent officers in the different arms of the IRGC and the Iranian Air Force, uh, successful one should uh, one should say. Uh, was uh, admitted by Iranian, the, the Iranian themselves, some uh, generals and the politicians from Iran said, this is uh, a very uh, serious threat to Iran uh, functioning, security functioning. People were fired, people were moved from their positions. Uh, there is a feeling that Israel is everywhere uh, and uh, could do whatever almost uh, uh, she likes inside Iran. Uh, this is a feeling of uncertainty and even kind of, uh, I would say, fear. So if it stops or, or, or delay the efforts of Iran, that's a question. Um, I would say there were ups and downs in the history of the Israeli struggle against the Iranian nuke between 2006 up till now. There were good periods and less good periods. Uh, uh, I, it seems to me that uh, the idea that uh, people that are involved in the manufactures of the machines which are relevant uh, for the nuclear uh, um, industry and people that are uh, involved in the, the machinery of UAVs and things like that that finally are used by Hezbollah against Israel, the policy of taking these uh, people out of the formula is the right policy. Uh, but still, we have to remember that we are speaking about a 90 million people nation uh, with a huge industry, with huge, uh, uh, I would say, resources. Uh, but again, between doing nothing and between uh, on one option, the second option is to attack your enemies before they attack you. And we should all remember that the Iranians are attacking Israel uh, uh, I would say constantly. It doesn't mean every day we got a, a bomb inside Israel, but all these attacks from Gaza, uh, these kind of rounds, including the Shomer Homo, the last one, uh, was uh, initiated by Iranian uh, organization supporters. Uh, uh, the Lebanese activity, including this, uh, this morning against uh, the Karish oil rig, uh, was approved by the Iranians. So it's not a one side. Uh, struggle. It's a two-sided struggle, and I, I, uh, my, my feeling is that the proactive uh, approach of the Israeli security services and, 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 and organization in Syria, in Lebanon a little bit, uh, in Iran and elsewhere, is uh, the only option. Uh, what we call underneath the level of war. Yes, and uh, I, I didn't mention that uh, the, the, the last uh, uh, the Prime Minister of Naftali Bennett uh, announced that he, he even changed it and, and made it more uh, proactive when he called it uh, uh, fighting the head, not the arms of the cat or of the octopus, the head. And uh, actually, this is what we see according to foreign press. And this conversation was fascinating. I want to thank you very much, Chaim Tomer, uh, former head of uh, intelligence division in the Mossad for joining us here. Toda Chaim.
We'll Thank take you. now a very short break and be uh, right after uh, back here with some final thoughts. Stay with us. Toda. Litraot Chaim. Good night. Hello, I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East, on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Almonitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for staying with us. I think this was one of the most interesting, fascinating, uh, loaded with headlines and insights, uh, talks that uh, we've had here lately. Chaim Tomer is not just another guy. He was the major general in Mossad, uh, head of the intelligence division for, uh, I think, something like 30 years. And when he... try to analyze the differences between the approaches of the Mossad in one hand, on one hand, and the, the military intelligence on the other hand, he said something interesting. He said it's, maybe it's because the, the, the baseline of difference is maybe deprived from the uh, difference between the areas of responsibilities, because the Mossad is the organization that is in charge of preventing Iran from becoming nuclear. It's on the Mossad's watch. Ariel Sharon, when he was the prime minister in 2001, he nominated then uh, chief of Mossad, uh, Mayor Dagan, to stop the Iranians. So the Mossad is, is uh, uh, acting and, uh, and uh, investing all its energy in uh, keeping the, the freedom uh, of maneuvering and, and actions of Mossad against Iran vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the nuclear uh, program, and uh, this is one of the reasons that uh, it, it objects a, an agreement, because when there is an agreement between the United States and the P5 plus 1, Israel is very, it is very difficult for Israel to act directly against uh, nuclear infrastructures in Iran, because it's all under surveillance and the... Uh, and international community, et cetera. So this was one a very interesting anal uh, analysis. And of, cor of course, uh, Chaim Tomer is uh, supporting the Mossad's uh, uh, post, and he says that uh, going on uh, press press pressing Iran in covert and uh, not covert uh, actions can make the Iranian leadership uh, be more flexible. And then we reached a very interesting point when I asked him about a, a piece that he wrote in uh, Mariv and uh, Wallace uh, news site about uh, the, the dilemma between the, the option of an agreement and the military option. He actually wrote there that uh, there is no real uh, option for an agreement because the negotiations are, uh, are crumbling. And the military option uh, by Israel is premature right now. 
And then he, he, he was writing about uh, using the, what he called a, a nuclear deterrence by Israel. But Israel is actually holding an uh, ambiguity policy. We never admitted that uh, we are nuclear. We don't talk about it. And he said it's maybe about time uh, to rethink uh, the ambiguity. Uh, maybe it's not so smart. Right now, until now, this was the right uh, policy. Very smart, very sophisticated. It was uh, coordinated with the United States of America. But if we are going to a new era and a new balance, <coughs> I'm sorry, and if the Iranians are uh, enriching uranium to 90 degrees, uh, <clears throat> this is what we call uh, military grade, and they're becoming a threshold nuclear state. This is the, the point that Israel should reconsider its policy and go for a clear uh, nuclear deterrence. And this can uh, happen very fast, so it must be arranged and, uh, and thought about right now. He, uh, Chaim Tomer, contradicted things that I heard from Mossad lately that there is 100% that uh, there will be a nuclear agreement because the two sides need it. And he said that he's skeptical. Uh, he could not say there is no chance for an agreement because when you're dealing with intelligence, there is never a case of no chance. But the likelihood, as uh, he said, is, is, uh, is not high. And the renewal of the negotiation uh, this week after long pressure gave no results. Uh, the Iranians, Chaim Thomas said, are very stubborn that they managed to outmaneuver the Americans and the sanctions, and they have a, a, a covert uh, a economic ties with the Chinese and the Russians, and they, they can uh, survive the sanctions, and they don't have, in Chaim Thomas' words, any reason to go for the agreement now before the midterm elections in the United States. We were also speaking about the three uh, uh, unmanned uh, uh, aerial vehicles that uh, what we call drones, uh, that uh, the Iran, the, I'm sorry, the Hezbollah uh, launched towards uh, uh, the gas uh, grid, Israel, one of the Israeli gas grids in the Mediterranean. He said it shows us uh, of the readiness of Hezbollah to change, uh, challenge Israel, and this readiness is growing. And uh, we were speaking about the threat from Hezbollah, and he agreed with me that uh, this kind of arsenal that very few states have uh, in the universe of uh, close to 200,000 rockets and missiles, and Chaim Thomas said that if, uh, uh, if the Hezbollah will be able to hold between seven and 800 uh, uh, rockets and missiles that are precise, guided by GPS or other uh, 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 methods of heavy rockets, this can be an existential uh, threat to Israel or maybe in the, uh, on the threshold of uh, existential. It's, it's uh, supposedly that Israel will, uh, will survive it but the damage can be a lot higher than a, a small nuclear bomb. And uh, Israel have uh, to decide what its policy vis-a-vis -vis this uh, development. And uh, finally, he said that uh, he's almost positive and sure that if Israel will attack 
use a military option against the Iranian uh, nuclear uh, infrastructure, it will not be, a, the Iranians cannot swallow it without reacting. Iran, said Chaim Tomer, is not uh, Iraq in the 80s when Menachem Begin uh, or ordered the uh, the Air Force to destroy its nuclear uh, reactor, or Syria of 2007. Iran is something else. It has a lot of proxies, and it will uh, challenge Israel, and they maybe go to a regional war against Israel, what we call the, the big northern war, and maybe even use proxies uh, from the south, like Hamas, uh, Islamic Jihad, the Houthis, etc. Not a very optimistic uh, conversation, but I think uh, very interesting, and I hope you uh, found it uh, so. And uh, I hope to uh, see you all here in the next week, uh, on the next time and place in uh, Al Monitor in On Israel. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. Thank you. Take care and bye-bye. <laughs>